good morning, church family. I believe that uh, this morning, my prayer is that uh, this is a continual invitation for how God is at work in our hearts. And I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles, Acts chapter 1. And as we do that, um, I'm thankful for our worship team as they lead us. And uh, I want to say uh, a brief uh, thanks again for uh, you as a church. Last night, we were able to open up our facilities, have our first dance. Uh, it was exciting. Uh, and uh, we hosted uh, the Sparrow Project, uh, just a uh, ministry in our community, and I'm thankful for them, and I'm thankful for our church family and the opportunity we had to come alongside them. This morning, I'm excited to be able to share with you and, and uh, uh, open up God's Word, and I'm excited about uh, some of the things that uh, I want to share with you that are coming up over the next uh, few weeks uh, but uh, more importantly, as we start, I want that foundation to be found in God's Word. So in your Bibles, uh, in Acts chapter 1, our verse that I wanted us to focus on this morning is verse 8, Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, just a little bit of context with that verse. We can look at it and be excited about what that says. But a little bit of context, I want to back up and just go back to the first of the book of Acts. It says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while they were with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church family, I'm thankful for, for us as we gather together, as we worship, as we continue in an attitude of worship, praying that God would speak to our hearts. And I just want to remind us, as we look at this passage and to see that first and foremost there in verse 8 when it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, I want to remind each of us of what exactly that means. When we think about the power of the Holy Spirit that has come to us and is available to us, when we repent of our sins and we place our faith in Christ, we trust Him as Lord and Savior, that that Holy Spirit that was promised to the disciples here in the book of Acts is immediately available to us as believers today. That, still, that same Spirit, the Trinity, I remember several years ago we had some men that uh, there was a, a, an argument that broke out in Sunday school of, about uh, the uh, not understanding of the Trinity. And uh, two of those men are with the Lord now, and, and, I'm, and I'm reminded of this. I know there's no argument about the Trinity in those, man's, those men's heart uh, as they're in the presence of the Lord because we have been promised God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts here, when we have this promise from God Himself that the Holy Spirit is coming upon us, 
I just want to remind us of the power of that and what it represents, that God is at work in each and every one of our lives. And whether you think that He is not there or whatever, God is right there in the midst of everything that is going on in your lives. In fact, I think that the disciples really had a hard time in kind of just understanding exactly all that was happening because it was earlier in John chapter 14, uh, in verse 15, it says, If you love me, He said to the disciples, If you love me and keep my commandments, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then down in verse 25, he said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Church family, as, as we uh, dig into God's word and as we look at how he's at work in our lives, I think this is a great reminder for us that God is at work in each and every one of our lives. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. I think sometimes, in fact, I think we act as if it's not a part of our, he's not a part of our lives. Uh, I had asked uh, my wife, I, I, saw, I heard a, pod, pod, podcast, a podcast uh, this week, and uh, it was a lady, she said, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my mullet dress. And I thought, what in the world is a mullet dress? Well, she went on to explain, you know, everybody's been doing online and, and everything, and so it's business up top, and then they're wearing sweatpants or shorts uh, on the bottom. And I asked my wife uh, and daughter if I could do that uh, preaching this morning, and they said no. So to your benefit, uh, I've got wisdom around me uh, as we discern that. But I believe that sometimes as we uh, uh, go about our daily lives, that we're forgetting that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit that's with us constantly, moment by moment, moving in and through our lives. And we need to be reminded that Jesus is right there with us. And, and, and I think that the disciples, they had a hard time understanding this. In fact, as, jo as Jesus had shared this with them earlier in John chapter 14, and then here after, uh, before his ascension, uh, he's reminding them again that the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. You're going to wait here for the, for the Holy Spirit. And I think that they uh, had a hard time really understanding that. And as the disciples asked uh, there, and uh, Judas uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, and he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And then in Acts, when they said... Um, uh, they asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed. They didn't have an understanding of all that was taking place. They didn't have an understanding of what this was meaning. They had already been told by Jesus himself that the Holy Spirit is coming. There's this promise that Jesus has given them that he will be with them forever. And so when they asked this question before he's ascended into heaven, I think there was probably some disgruntledness among the disciples of Apparently somebody wasn't listening when he told us earlier that there was the promise of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time listening. And, and my wife just told me the other night, uh, she said, Jim, this has been sitting here for three days. And I've told you three times to put this up in the top of the pantry. And, uh, uh, or, or I will say to my kids, uh, or my, I will respond to my kids, they say something. And later I said, no, now aren't you going over here? And dad, we just told you this. I think the disciples weren't paying attention at all to what Jesus was saying. 
And I want to, re- want to remind us, uh, John MacArthur said this. He said, the Holy Spirit can, this is the purpose of the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin internally. The Holy Spirit drives us to Christ. The Holy Spirit help, helps our prayers with groanings that can't be uttered. The Holy Spirit secures us and gives us assurance so that we cry, Abba, Father. The primary work of the Holy Spirit, the wondrous work, is to conform us to Christ, to make us more and more like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, From one level of glory to the next, as we gaze at Christ. Now, I don't know what everybody's story is in here when it comes to our relationship with Christ. But just as Jaron finished our time of worship, I want you to know that this invitation to trust Christ as personal Lord and Savior is an ongoing invitation. And my prayer this morning would be this, that you would be sensitive to what God is saying to your heart this morning. In fact, uh, I believe that there are some things that we can become guilty of when it comes to our relationship with God in us, the Holy Spirit in us. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Well, how in the world would that take place? Because of the goal of the Spirit's uh, work in us, the Holy Spirit's work in us, His purpose in us is to continue to make us become like Christ. I remember when I first came to know the, uh, Christ, I was in a Bible study of Philippians in a, in, down at Falls Creek in a, in a little pavilion that's no longer there. And, and, uh, and the teacher read Philippians 1.21 that said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. At that moment, God got my attention of my need for Him, but I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that meant. And I, I began to talk to Ken Sred and a couple of other guys just talking that out about what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And as we were having all of these talks and language, uh, talking about this uh, 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 language of what it meant to be a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ, and following Him daily, I'll never forget trusting Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. But that Friday night before I were to leave, I was with a group of people I didn't know. A whole group of people. There were probably, uh, I think, 120 kids there. I knew none of them going into camp. And uh, I'll never forget that that Friday night, there were some old cooks that were sitting there. Um, and uh, Sorry, my, my wife and them went as cooks. Y'all aren't all old, but these were particularly older people. And what I'm really thankful for is they were older people who were investing in us as kids. And so, just so you know, if you're older here, I would love to see you investing in kids. But they said to me that Friday night before I were to leave, I was getting on a plane to leave on uh, uh, Monday, And uh, I followed uh, Christ in baptism that Sunday night, but that Friday night they told me this. They said, Jim, you're going to go back as a missionary. Now, because I was going back to a place where we didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't talk about the gospel. We went to a chapel service. We we had to wear a tie, and our our shirt tails had to be tucked in, a belt, and all of that. And and Paul, you would have loved it. I had to wear a tie every Sunday, and and, and it was very institutional. And I remember going to the chaplain when I first got back, and I, I said to him, I, uh, it was an, in a boy's home, and uh, uh, I said to him, uh, uh, I trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I remember his response to me was, well, that's nice. That's, 
very, very nice. And he turned around and he walked away. He was the only spiritual person that I knew that I could ever have this conversation with that I felt comfortable having the conversation with. And that was his response. And he turned around and walked away. And I, I began to think, be reminded of, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And Jim, you're going back as a missionary. What in the world does that mean? What does that look like? And I think that you and I need to be reminded that God has called us into a relationship with Him, and He does not desire, uh, He does not intend for us to be able to live our lives in the world separate from our relationship with Christ. He has not called us to separate the two, uh, uh, to compartmentalize our lives in our relationship with Him. We are not in a mullet type of spiritual relationship with Christ. We are. Uh, uh, he has given us the Holy Spirit, and we are to, to live out our lives in growing in our understanding of Him. So what are some ways that we can begin to, to quench the Holy Spirit? And I would say this, the very first thing is, is don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. In Revelation 16, verses 8 through 11, the fourth, it says this, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. And, in, and in, at the end of verse 9, it says, They did not repent and give him glory. Verse 10 says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And at the end of verse 10, it says, They did not repent of their deeds. Church family, I, I don't know everybody's story here, but my prayer would be that this morning as we gather as the body of Christ, as we gather as a family, as we gather as friends of this community, I pray that we would not resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. With the world falling down around them in judgment, in the final judgment of God, with reality staring them in the face, over and over, they said at the end of those verses, it says they did not repent. I want you to know, I want all of us to know this, the desperation of our need for Jesus and the need to repent of our sins and to trust Him as Lord and Savior. They were seeing God's judgment with their own eyes and they did not repent. Do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. So when I think about Acts 1-8, that there's this promise of the Holy Spirit coming, and, and we are called to be able to live this out in our daily lives. Number one is do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, I think about this. I think about David in, in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now the context of Psalm 51 is this is David's psalm of repentance. And this is after Nathan the prophet had confronted him in his sin with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah. And, and, and Nathan had, had uh, confronted him on that sin and David is guilty before the Lord and he says this, he says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. There was this brokenness. I want to encourage us to not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. And you and I know David's story because of Scripture and because of what it shares. And we're thankful for how God was at work in his life. Despite his sin, despite all that he had done, God was moving in his heart. God provided forgiveness and God provided a work in his life. And we were able to, we're able to see that through the pages of Scripture. 
So don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is, don't delay. Don't procrastinate in it, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. I've, I firmly believe that I'm seeing on a daily basis the need to kick the can down the road when it comes to spiritually. I, the, the, the attitude of, you know what, I'll, I'll deal with this later. I don't, I don't know what season of life you're in, but I think that there are some things that happen in different seasons of life. Uh, I've, and I've seen this where, uh, you know, we're, we're, we, we live our lives and, and we're confronted with the realities of who Christ is. Maybe we uh, get away from home, we go to college, and we, we tend to, maybe we're not as close to the Lord. And, and, uh, but, but one of the things that happens that I see over and over again is when people have children, when we have children, what is it that we want most for them? We want them to be able to look to Christ. We want God to be at work in their hearts. And so I will see families all the time that say, you know, I, w- I want my kids in church. I hear that all the time. I want to say to us, all of us, no matter what season of life we're in, no matter what generation we're a part of, that God would be at work in all of our lives and that we wouldn't want it for somebody else around us, that we would want it first and foremost in our own lives. So don't delay. I want to encourage us to do it now. In fact, in Acts 24, there's this great uh, passage of Scripture, and it says, After some days Felix came with his wife, Jerusalem, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he heard him speak about faith in Christ in, G- in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. This is what Paul was doing with Felix. And it says that Felix was alarmed. Felix was scared and said, Go away from the, for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And in verse 26, at the same time, he had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And then it says in verse 27, When two years had elapsed, Felix Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And that's the end of what we read about Felix. That for two years, Paul was uh, sharing the gospel with Felix, and, and Felix kept kicking the can down the road. I want to encourage us, to not uh, uh, delay, to, to not procrastinate. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not on our schedule. How God works is not according to what we think or what we think is best. That we would find ourselves in... One of the... I don't know if you would call it a little privilege, but I do because of the opportunity to be able to care for families in our community. And one of the things that I'm often reminded of, we as a staff, we, and, and I shared with our building staff, is to, the opportunity to be able to come alongside families when they're grieving and the loss of loved ones. And I want you to know that's a constant reminder, and I firmly believe that when we have loved ones around us, those in our circle of influence who've passed, that God's using those things to be able to draw our attention to Him. And I took this photo um, just right out here on Western one day after a service, and just reminded, I'm constantly reminded that one day uh, we're not going to have the opportunity to delay. And we can go on to the next screen here, but we're not going to have the opportunity to delay. And I want to encourage us as a church family to understand the urgency of how God wants to be at work in our hearts, in our lives. 
And the third thing that I would say is that we don't need to give in to Satan's lies. We don't need to give in to the world. Um, and, 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 and I think this is one of Satan's oldest tricks in Scripture. We live, before I get to that, we live in a broken world. I mean, we see sin introduced in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, in, um, that's the oldest deception to us. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see now the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that... I just lost my place. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the oldest deception that is known to man that Satan wants to destroy. Satan wants to uh, be deceptive in how we do this. And right now, as we live in a broken world, and you've heard Pastor Owen share this, that a lot of times we try to fix this brokenness with good things. There are things that we try to fix this brokenness with. In fact, I think that they're really good things. Our families, our children, we try to break that brokenness and we try to fix it on our terms. And God says that He is the only one who can fix that. And I would encourage us that we would not find ourselves falling to the schemes of Satan himself. We live in a broken world and any one story that we come across, you're going to hear brokenness. I think about just recently... Um, uh, two of our ladies uh, called and said, you know, there's a, uh, a young couple right out here that's having a fight. And we go out there to engage uh, with them. And I walk up and, and uh, he's got her phone and, you know, he's doing this and, and she's really mad. And so I tried to get in between them and, and, uh, and, and do that. And we end up calling the police. And I'm, I'm sitting here on the concrete with him. And uh, the police officer's got uh, his girlfriend uh, in the car. He says, I don't know why this keeps happening. <laughs> and I said, I do. And I said, I'd be glad to tell you. And so I got his phone number. We've, we've texted and all of that. And I pray that God would do that. But that brokenness, he shared that brokenness right there. If we listen to people's story, you're going to hear brokenness. You're going to hear their desperate need for a Savior. Another young lady, we got a call from the Moore Police Department about uh, meeting a young mom, and uh, so I go to, uh, to meet her, and, and I meet with her and her mother and their children, and they're there in the apartment, and she's broken. She's, she, she begins to share her story, and she begins to share how she's uh, been abused and raped and all of these, and she says, I don't see how a good God, 
a loving God could allow those types of things to happen to me. There's brokenness in the world, and she desperately needs Christ. Not because of her. All of us are broken. All of us are in desperate need of who Christ is. Her brokenness matches brokenness across this, this room, matches brokenness across this community, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. And I would say that we not fall to Satan's schemes thinking that there's something else that will fix this brokenness. It's Christ and Christ alone. That we are to repent of our sins, we're to turn away from our sins and turn to Christ. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want to encourage, just as we take that pause in that verse, that we would be reminded to not fall to the seams of Satan, and that we would not delay God and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Do not delay how he's at work. So this morning, if you're here, that invitation is open to you. We desperately want you to be able to, to simply see with your own eyes, with your own heart, that Jesus loves you right where you are. No matter what your story is, God wants to be able to come in and to be able to fix that brokenness. And then that scripture verse goes on to say, and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Church family, there are a lot of things that we can do and there are a lot of things that we individually can do. There are a lot of things that we as a church can do. But we cannot separate them from the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work in our lives. And in fact, if you're trying to do something good in order to make yourself right with God, I'm going to tell you that's, that's a, a, a wrong fix. In fact, uh, Paul says in Galatians uh, 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then I want to invite you that you mark Galatians 2.21 in your Bible, 2.20 and 21, because in my paraphrase in verse 21, he says, because if there were anything that I could do to make myself right with Christ, if there were anything that we can do to make ourselves right with Christ, he died for nothing. He died for nothing. There is a desperation in our lives that we live that out on a daily basis. And church family, when I finished reading that Acts uh, 1.8, and it says, And I think knowing this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you realize that when this was written, you're the ends of the earth? <laughs> okay, I know, everybody's like, oh yeah, we knew Oklahoma was the ends of the earth, okay? But, but I want us to think about it in a little bit of context here. When this was written, he said, they're Jerusalem. That, that was their immediate circle of influence. All that, that was happening right there, this is where they were to go to work. They were to be able to share the gospel where God has placed them. And there was going to be all kinds of confusion with the Jewish non-believers and all kinds of stipulations that they were going to try to place on Jewish believers, or they were going to try to place on new Gentile believers as the gospel went out. There were all of these things that, that they were fighting against. But I, I came across a book several years ago, and it was Oscar Thompson. Uh, it was called Concentric Circles of Concern. And basically, kind of taking this idea of this our Jerusalem, our, and, and, and I would look at it even this way. Our Jerusalem starts with us. The greatest person that I can preach the gospel to on a daily basis is me. It's, it's, it's not you. It's not to somebody who really needs it. It's to me. I desperately need to know 
the gospel in my own heart and that everything that I live out, moment by moment, it's centered, it's grounded in the gospel and who he is and how he is at work in, at work in my heart, in my life. So I, when I think about that Jerusalem, I think about me personally. When I think about Jerusalem, I think about the context of even us as believers here. I think, I think about the, the, our building team and, and, and our Jerusalem, how we present the gospel here, how we were able to use these facilities. Emmaus, can I tell you this? I, I really am thankful for you as a church family and how you allow us to be able to uh, use these facilities to be able to care and to engage our community with the gospel. It's absolutely amazing. I, I, uh, I, I remember uh, years ago being in another church, and I was with my pastor, and he said, uh, another pastor, not, <laughs> and he said, uh, man, I really would love for this little room here to be a, uh, a welcome so we can welcome people when they come in these doors, and uh, uh, great. So we were with one of our men who was just a great servant and just was willing to do anything, and some friends are here that probably know him as Ivan Die. And uh, so the next morning we walk into the office and that whole room is gone. And uh, well, this required a church vote, an act of God to be able to move this because this was our oldest ladies Sunday school class. And uh, so we immediately call Ivan and Ivan, we got to get this built, this, this room back. So we, we built a wall. It had the old paneling uh, it had a window in it. We didn't put a window on it. We just hung curtains on it. And uh, they didn't realize it on the next Sunday when they came in that uh, we had actually torn that wall down and brought it back. There's so much ownership in our church buildings all across America that people aren't allowing it to be able to use for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Emmaus, thank you for how you allow us to be able to use these facilities. And some people might think, well, Jim, that's, you're, you're kind of going out there a little bit. You're allowing the schools to be able to use that. You know what? I firmly believe that, that people need to know that this is a safe place. This is a place where the gospel is going to be proclaimed, and these are going to be a people who love them unconditionally and want to continue to point them to Christ. And I would say this, come all, come one. Every, I said that wrong, but everybody come. And we want you to be able to know Jesus Christ. So when I think about our Jerusalem, I think it starts with me. I think it starts with us here as a church family. And, uh, and, and then it goes on beyond that. I think about uh, if, if I'm right in my relationship with Christ, and I'm improving my relationship with Christ, my marriage is going to be better. My, as a parent, I'm going to be a better dad if my relationship with Christ is better. Couples coming in to the office wanting to, to visit, well, he did this or she did this. Folks, let's focus on our own personal relationship with Christ so that we can make our relationships around us better. They're founded in the foundation of who Christ is, our Jerusalem. And so that influence of us locally and thinking about going into the Judea, going out in those further, I'm thankful for a church family who allows us to want to be able to continue to engage into our community. I'm thankful for things like, I mean, I don't know, some people may be new here, and, and uh, we have the privilege to be next-door neighbors to the Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. Now, when I share that, you're going to immediately think that they're caring for children, but they're doing it with a little bit of a twist, and it's really cool to be able to see this transition. They've taken these older cottages next door. This campus was built in the 80s. They had sold a campus that was up where Penn Square, Square Mall was, up off of 1960, or <laughs> Uh, what, uh, anyways, up where Penn, Skull, uh, Penn Square Mall is, 
And uh, they sold that, and they built this campus down here. And I'm thankful for the work that takes place here because what they've done is they made this transition to care for single moms and their children. So they've opened up these cottages to open it up for single moms and their children. And some of those single moms and children are here, and I'm thankful for you as a church family, how we have the opportunity to be able to continue to engage, to be able to continue to love, and to be able to continue to share the gospel. It's amazing of the work that our staff, their staff next door do, but it's amazing to see our church family come alongside and to be able to encourage their staff, be able to care for these moms, be able to pour into these moms spiritually and to love them unconditionally and to point them to Jesus. It's fun to be able to see that taking place. And then we get to see opportunities for us to be able to engage in other places in our community. I'm thankful for how we can engage with our schools. And, and uh, I, I, there is an uh, information sheet uh, that's out at the Mission Center of some opportunities for us to be able to engage Local mission opportunities, you're going to see this green sheet out there. And I, and I think about this, this next Friday night or Saturday night, we have the opportunity to be able to care for foster kids uh, 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 while their mom and uh, foster parents go out on a date. So if you're interested in that, I'd love to see you. I, I told Owen uh, this week, I said I may do a little begging during our sermon, uh, the sermon this week, but uh, the opportunity for us to uh, come alongside foster families and then in August, we're going to be out. Uh, there's a national night out. We're working with the Moore Police Department and other local businesses, and we're going to be out there in our community uh, doing that. And, uh, and then on Sunday, August the 8th, we're going to a local apartment complex that we've built a relationship with, uh, and uh, we're going to be cooking out hamburgers. We're going to be giving away backpacks, and a lot of these kids go to Southgate Elementary. We've got some teachers that are at Southgate Elementary, and I firmly believe that we're called to continue to engage right here with the gospel. When I think about one Acts, that our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and church family, on August the 15th, I want to invite you to, to, to make sure that you mark that date and you're here. Uh, August the 15th, we're going to have... Uh, John Brady, uh, who is the Vice President of Global Engagement with the International Mission Board, is going to be preaching that morning. And then we're going to have missionaries from Colombia, from Panama, um, and uh, uh, another couple that works with the Asia uh, group uh, that actually uh, bought a home right uh, over here in Westmore Edition that's working with uh, Asians around the world. So we're going to be talking about global engagement uh, on August the 15th. We're going to do a luncheon immediately following that service, and you can purchase tickets out front. Uh, Jonathan Smith is out there, and it's going to be an incredible opportunity for us to be able to talk about not just our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but to the ends of the earth and how God has gifted each one of us and called each one of us to be able to go and share the gospel. And when I think about the Great Commission, it's simply this, as you are going, whatever job you do, whatever it is that you're going about on your daily business, God desires to use you right where you are. He will use your story to be able to listen to their story and to point them to God's story. And I'm thankful that you and I have that opportunity to be able to do that on a daily basis. Church family, let me pray for us. And then we're going to close with a time of invitation. And I, I would say this, don't delay, don't push, kick the can down the road when it comes to trusting Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you would like to talk about that, I want you to know this is a safe place to be able to do that. We desperately want to continue to encourage each other as the day of Christ's return. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we gather together as a church family, 
God, I pray that we would sense the urgency in our own relationship to continue to grow, to be able to seek you, to be able to to trust you in every area of our lives. God, that there would not be anything hidden from you. We know it's not, but God, we try to do that. And I pray that, uh, God, that we would uh, allow our lives to be just completely consumed by who you are. God, we would find ourselves being completely trusting you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that, that this morning, that every person here is confronted with the reality of Jesus uh, as Lord and Savior. And God, whether or not we each have that personal one-on-one relationship. Father, we, uh, we give this time to you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.